I'm Brett McGarry, along with Tristan Field-Jones, or TFJ, as we like to call him around here. Tristan filling in for Greg Mackling. And you know what, Tristan? Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I referred to the show as Tristan and McGarry. And Greg wasn't happy about yeah, that. Yeah, Greg was like, what? you can't change the name of the show just because he's filling in. Mm-hmm. So, well, we can't do it just for one day. He said, well, no. So naturally, human nature being what it is, that made me want to change it even more. So yeah. I have prepared something here Uh-oh. that I'm hoping you're going to like. Greg's not going to like it. So Greg, if you're listening, <laughs> sorry, buddy. This is just for today. This is Tristan and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Immigrant song. Good choice, sir. Yes. I went with the Led Zeppelin because I, I know you like the Led Zeppelin. Big fan of Led Zeppelin. Now... <laughs> You know, in response to Greg not being too happy about this, I guarantee you, when I fill in for you in a couple weeks, he will change the show to Greg and Tristan. Yeah, well, in a heartbeat, he'll do that. Oh well, I would hope so. That's you know, we're, we're just having some fun here on 680 CJOB. That's what we like to do on this show on M and M, or in this case, TFJ M, whatever you want to call it. So, and especially going into a long weekend, Tristan, it's the long weekend. I am hoping to partake in some of the golfings this weekend. Although oh, yeah. the forecast yesterday, Dave Phillips telling us yesterday, oh yeah, from environment, climate change, and what is it called now? Environment, climate Canada. change, and environment Canada. I, I don't know. We all environment just call and climate change Canada. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, environment Canada. He's telling us yesterday, oh yeah, the weekend looks pretty good, but history's not on our side. Only three times in the last four times in the last thirty years has the May long weekend been dry. And he said, yesterday the forecast looks great, and today, no, not so much. It's changed, and we're looking cloudy tomorrow, and maybe some rain Sunday and Monday, so hopefully that changes. But regardless, I hope to partake in the golfings. Uh, Maplewood, I'm going out to St. Pierre-Jolie. Nice. Rat River, as it used to be called, on Sunday, and then on Monday heading over to my, my home course of Kingswood in LaSalle. What are you doing this long weekend, Tristan? Not a whole lot. Actually, I'm going to a wedding tomorrow. Oh! Uh, for a friend, for a friend of mine, and um, exciting. Prob- yeah, probably not too much else. It's one of the few long weekends where I don't have a ton of plans out there. Where is the wedding? I'll crash it. Um, you see, no, we're not. I, I don't want. I don't want you showing up. I don't want people to see that part of my life right there. <laughs> that part of my life. I, I just yeah. I, I'll, I'll mention them. I'll say you know. Because I'll get asked, uh, you know, oh, how was your day at work, or what do you do at work? And oh, nothing. It's it's very nice. And I then just... the reality is, the newsroom is a circus sometimes, mm-hmm. and that's when there isn't even any news out there. And I'm the lead clown in your for, circus for, for sure. But you're not the only clown, though. Okay. So don't worry about that. Right. Well, so you're not. Are you going to do any hiking? You know, I I was I was thinking about that, Brett, and um, maybe, but I'm kind of a little bit concerned after I found this article. Uh, that describes an experience when it comes to ticks. We've, we're all aware that tick season is upon us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like ticks, Brett? I, I can't honestly say that I have ever had one on me. And that's not to say that I have de- that I definitively have not. I just I don't know that I would recognize one. Mm-hmm. Very very likely that I've mistaken them for spiders because watching this video from a report that we have here that we'll play in a moment, I think I actually. After seeing those ticks, I think, oh, maybe I have had them on and I've just managed to get rid of them before they could do their thing. So, but you would say you're not a big fan of them overall. You just, they creep you out or just don't really bother you? Well, I don't like bugs in particular. I, right. I'm, 
I'm a real scaredy cat. I always make fun of Jeff Braun for being a scaredy cat, my Couch Potatoes co-host, but when it comes to bugs, they just freak me out, man. How about 400 ticks? Uh, no. No, not really. Well, here's the story. Uh, so for those of you who are not aware, the Manterio Trail, it's a fairly well-known hiking trail. It's in the east uh, white shell. It's very close to the Ontario border. Okay. A group of hikers were spent about three days there, and they estimate that over the course of that three days, they picked up on their clothes 400 ticks. I said pardon? That is that is correct. That's according to the story here. And they were describing how when they take a break every few minutes, well, what happened is they'd find these ticks crawling up in their pant legs, crawling up their collars, even behind the ears, every single time they were taking a break. Now, they didn't obviously have a, uh, do this scientifically, so the 400 number is a rough estimate, but the reality is that it is bad out okay. there. That's a lot of ticks. That's too many. <laughs> it's not, and, and if this story is, and, and this story was kind of shocking to me because last year I went on countless day trips to the White Shell, went on many of those hiking trails. Now, granted, the Manterio Trail is a little more rugged. I think that it's for more experienced hikers, but... When uh, uh, when I read this story, I was shocked because I didn't pick up a single tick in on some of those white shell trails, and some of them were you would think perfect uh, locations for these little buggers. Now the the thing here is the risk of Lyme disease is low, and I think that's the main concern. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why it is important to to think about ticks and make sure they're not on you. But the risk of Lyme disease in this case is low uh, because they it 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 can be transmitted to humans by ticks, but they were checking each other for tick bites every day and make sure that they caught any of them before they kind of latched on. Uh, but there are other things to to think about when it comes to ticks, and we want to thank Julie Buckingham for pointing this particular story out. This uh, story out of Oregon. Now, the, the story that we're about to play for you is actually originates from a television station in Charlotte, but they're reporting on this situation out of Oregon where a young girl was partially paralyzed because of a tick bite. The American dog tick is what infected that little girl, and it is common here in the Piedmont, especially in the summer. It lurks in grassy and wooded areas, but thankfully, there are ways to protect yourself. Can you stand up? Come on, try it real hard. It's hard to watch. Try real hard. Two parents desperately urging their daughter to stand. Shortly after they took this video, they rushed her to the ER to discover she had a tick nestled in the back of her head, and it was paralyzing her. Raleigh, Charlotte, uh, Greensboro, Winston, kind of all those areas, we'll see it a lot. Dr. Jason Dugas tells us the tick had probably been on the little girl for several days. After kind of five, seven days or so um, of being attached, then you'll see some incoordination, um, but then can actually lead to full paralysis. He says tick paralysis is most common in children, but is still pretty rare. The ticks themselves, though, are not. Like they'll bite humans all the time. Anytime you're out in the long grasses going for a walk with your kids, just take a look at their ankles. This video now has more than 6 million views. The parents hoping to warn others and thankful they went to the hospital before it was too late. But if it leads to your diaphragm muscle, like that's actually going to prevent you from breathing. Even if a tick is carrying a paralyzing neurotoxin, if you remove it right away, it won't affect you. So keeping a close eye on your skin is your best defense. 
So check yourself and your kids as soon as you can. The ticks are about this size. They're a reddish brown color. If you don't feel comfortable removing it yourself, go to the doctor right away. Reporting for NBC Charlotte, I'm Savannah Levins. I'll send it back to you. Well, thank you very much, Savannah. Now you heard her say they're about this size. What she did there is she took just a black Sharpie marker, just kind of basically drew a dot on her Mm -hmm. forearm, and that's how big they are. And as far as the, the risk for Lyme disease is concerned, wood ticks, also known as the American dog tick, which was referenced in that report, it can be hard to tell them apart from from deer ticks or black-legged ticks, which can carry Lyme disease, but Lyme is not in the common wood tick. But still, something to be concerned with. So that had us wondering if you have any tick stories. Uh, Do you have any, perhaps, tricks? We heard earlier this week from Dr. Richard Rusk from Manitoba Health who was saying there are a lot of things that are sort of misconceptions, uh, like taking a flame to a tick or trying to use Vaseline or all these sort of, I guess, as you might want to call them, like an old wives' tale sort of thing? Yeah, I'm not sure who thinks it would be a good idea to take a lit match or a flame to uh, an insect that's borrowed into a part of your skin. That, that, taking a flame that close to your skin just doesn't end well, period, (laughs) regardless of the tick. So 204-780-6868, we would like to know, are you concerned? I mean... Yes, the risk for Lyme disease is low, but still, 400 ticks over a three-day span. That's a lot. Wondering if that is has you thinking about your behavior, as mm-hmm. we particularly as we head into the long weekend, and many of us go camping, go out to cottage country, what have you. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can also text us at that number. You can email me, brett at cjob.com. Is your email just Tristan at cjob.com? Yes, it is. That's T-R-I-S-T-A-N, because I know a lot of people will put an E or a, sometimes I've seen a U there, but yes, T-A-N. Um, and, and you know what, Brett, I would love to know, are you one of these people who's paranoid, especially after hearing stories like this, uh, are you now even more paranoid about going out hiking? Is this enough for you to change your plans? Uh, again, I've never had a tick actually bite me, so I've been lucky. But I would love to hear from people, again, 204-780-6868. Are you, and especially hearing these reports, does this make you concerned about ticks when you're out and about this weekend? And we're not trying to fear monger, but we are just curious to know if this will have any sort of impact on what it is you do. I know that when I go golfing, a lot of the courses I head out to, uh, like I said, for example, Kingswood and LaSalle, there are a number of holes that sort of are... In a, in a sort of a forest setting, so I always check myself after the round, and I've been lucky, but maybe I should be a bit more vigilant, a bit more diligent in terms of how I am checking myself for ticks. So 204-780-6868, talking ticks on Tristan and McGarry. Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling today, having a look at your forecast. Up next, I'm Brett McGarry. He is Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling today. We're talking about ticks the story of a number of hikers who were on the Manterio Trail earlier this week, which it's a 60-kilometer trail that kind of goes along the Ontario border in the Whiteshell Provincial Park. And they figured that over the course of three days, they picked up 400 ticks between the lot of them. So we're talking about, we're asking you the question, are you concerned? Do you have any tick stories? And we actually have a couple of people on the line who have stories to tell about Lyme disease. Chris, stand by. I understand you have a friend with Lyme disease, but Steve, we understand you have Lyme disease. 
That is correct. Can you hear me okay? Yes, loud and clear, Steve. Thank you for calling. I guess what is uh, what would you like to say to us today? Well, um, I can tell you that uh, I think the general public, not that I'm trying to scare anybody, but um, everybody should have a right to be concerned, and everybody should pay close attention to the ticks, and our provincial health care system and Canadian health care system better get their head out of there, you know what, because it's coming. Now, Steve, do you... Uh, how long have you had Lyme disease? I was officially diagnosed with Lyme disease last August, at the end of last August, to be precise. Do you have any idea where you may have picked up the tick? More than likely uh, in and around the Birdseal Park area. And when would that have been, do you think? That's the million-dollar question. It could have been April, it could have been May, it could mm. have been June. One of the misnomers that I've found in my extensive research and even the Manitoba healthcare system seems to think that the tick has to be attached to you for 24 hours and feeding for it to transmit the disease. At no point did I ever recall ever having a tick stuck to me. Now, Steve, um, what are some of the, the symptoms that you started to notice that set off the alarm bells for you? In July, I basically, um, the wheels came off, physically, mentally. Uh, extreme joint pain, chronic fatigue, 24-hour headaches. Uh, felt like a 300-pound person was standing on the back of my neck. Mood swings, short-term memory loss, dental pain. Uh, and I'm probably forgetting a few. Uh, the list is quite extensive. Steve, that sounds. Uh, Steve, I was just going to say that that sounds horrific. I mean, it's it. You know, again, we don't want to to fearmonger, but I think this is an important story to share with our listeners. Um, how does this impact you on a on a daily basis? Oh, it's affected me greatly. I'm still nowhere near uh, any kind of normal self. I'm still experiencing short term memory loss. Uh, I'm still experiencing fatigue. I'm still experiencing joint pain. Uh, one of the things in my research that I've done on my own, they call Lyme disease the great imitator because it takes on the characteristics and can exhibit symptoms similar to fibromyalgia, meningitis, encephalitis. Uh, there's a number of things. Now, Steve, are you currently getting some treatment? You referenced the health care and that it needs to wake up, but are you get, at least getting some form of treatment? At this point in time right now, I have one option in front of me for treatment, uh, which I've already been on twice last fall, and that's to go on in, uh, another one month or two months straight, sorry, of doxycycline. Uh, that's uh, an antibiotic that's used to treat and cure malaria, anthrax, and a few other things. So how does that... I went... Well, sorry, hang on, let me finish off. I went through one three-week bout of it in September, and then not being satisfied with the results, I went on another three-week bout of it in October 
this winter, I'm still not satisfied with my condition and persisted persisted with my family doctor to get a referral to the infectious disease specialist in Manitoba. And their only advice to me or their only option for me was to go back on doxycycline yet again for two months straight. Well, doxycycline can affect people in different ways. For me, uh, it gave me um, stomach issues to the point where I had stopped eating properly. And I basically lost last fall 25 pounds in just under two months. All right. Well, so I have absolutely, I have absolutely zero interest in going back on doxycycline. Steve, I want to thank you so much for reaching mm-hmm. out to us and telling us a bit of your story. We do appreciate it. Uh, we have a, a couple of minutes left here. I just wanted to make sure we got gave Chris some time as well. Chris, thank you so much for your patience. Uh, we do appreciate it. What is you? I understand you have a friend with Lyme disease. Yeah, correct. So my, the story is surprisingly similar to Steve's, actually. Almost like I'm going to parrot almost everything he said. The symptoms are the same. The lack of treatment is the same. I personally obviously haven't taken the pill, so the effects there I'm less familiar with. But, yeah, basically I was out at the park with a buddy of mine here uh, downtown at Vimy Park, so within the city. Uh, and, we're, like, we're both avid outdoors people. We both do tree work. We're both arborists. So a lot of exposure to ticks, but never an issue. And, uh, yeah, like Steve was saying, all the medical professionals in Manitoba, anyway, seem to be of the mindset that it requires a 24-hour, like, incubation period. Basically, you have to, like, build a relationship with the tick. That's not really the case. It bites you and keeps on walking. When you give it that swipe and swipe it off you, you've already been infected. So, And the, and the fact that, like Steve said as well, it's a great image of your disease. Like, it's because of that, the medical professionals here anyway have a hard time diagnosing it. And so therefore the treatment period seems to drag on and on and on, but that's not, I mean, I, I'd also like to, uh, I guess, add the fact that it sort of treats you like mono, like you, just like Steve said, it drains you of all your energy and all your ability to sort of do anything. And so having that constant inability to more or less do your job or perform isn't really an option for people with physical jobs. So which are the people who are really at risk for the, uh, for Lyme disease? Chris, I want to thank you for sharing the story, and thanks for the the, the comparison to mono as well, because mm-hmm. I have I have had mono, so now that at least gives me kind of an idea of what it might be like to experience Lyme disease. So thank you for that. If you have the number to call is two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. I know Diana was on the line, but she had to go. But Diana, if you want to call us back. 204-780-6868, talking about ticks and whether or not you're concerned as we were telling you a story about this group of hikers who picked up 400 over three days in on the Mentario Trail. We'll continue our chat after Tristan Field-Jones brings you Global News at 1.30. It's Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling. And Tristan, we were talking about ticks. Can you maybe just perhaps reset why we were talking about ticks. Well, the May long weekend is coming up and chances are a lot of people will be out and about hiking and a story here uh, profiled a couple of uh, hikers who are out on the Mantario Trail, which is in the White Shell, not far from the Ontario border. And um, the hikers say over a three-day period, they collected uh, upwards of 400 ticks. Now, again, it's, I think it's important to note that the Manterio tri- uh, Trail is it's pretty rugged. It's mainly for people who have some experience there. So 
if you're on kind of the the more graded trails, ones with gravel, it's probably not going to be that bad on those ones. But still, it, Brett, that's a it's an icky story. I mean, I I just I've been ever since I read this story, I've been itching all over because I'm terrified that they're on me right now, even though that's probably impossible. And again, we don't want to make it sound like this is uh, we're trying to set off alarm bells or, or make you scared to go to cottage country. I mean, the province's surveillance program says most of the ticks that are collected in Manitoba are the basic wood tick, which does not carry Lyme disease. But there are ticks out there that do. We heard from Steve, who has Lyme disease, and it has had a, a significant impact mm-hmm. on his life. We heard from Chris telling us about his friend, who is also dealing with serious health issues as a result. Uh, we had Diana on the line, but she had to go. Diana, if you still have time, feel free to give us a call at 204-780-6868. And if you have any stories about ticks that you want to share, 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can text 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com or tristan at cjob.com. We want to play a, We want to break the rules a little bit here. It's one of the things we like to do on Mackling and McGarry. Christian O'Mell, Global News reporter Christian O'Mell, did a piece on Wednesday. So normally by then we would say, okay, it ran a couple of times and that's done. But it's a good feature and it's timely given the topic that we're having right now. So we want to play that. Before we do that, though, Tristan, I want to read you this email Mm -hmm. from Curtis, who reached out to me at brett at cjob.com. He says, hi, Brett. I was installing a wood stove up in the Narrows yesterday and... Excuse me. Pardon me. And I had a total of 27 ticks on me within three hours. 27 ticks in three hours. I was hard at work and having the creepy crawlies. And even when I went to use my saw, there was a tick looking up at me. I find, and this is what Curtis says, I find if they are poked with a hot pin, they will release their bite. And that actually leads perfectly into this feature from Christian O'Mell, who talks about... Well, let's let Christian explain it. I only have one experience with ticks, and that was in Australia. And it wasn't even me. It was my friend. We went to hang out with some kangaroos, and when we got back to Sydney, she noticed she had a tick on her arm. The situation was handled perfectly, though. There was no panic. And there are many theories out there about how to best get rid of a tick, but many of them are not good ideas at all. Dr. Richard Rusk is here to shed some light. What's your title again, Doc? Medical Officer of Health for Communicable Diseases at Manitoba Health. Just a short cut. Right, thanks. So, about those theories. There's people that say, oh yeah, put a match to them or cover them with Vaseline or some essential peppermint oil. The risk there is that if this deer tick is actually carrying the bacteria, you're giving it a chance to actually pass that bacteria onto you. That sounds gross. Can you make it a little grosser, please? If you're messing with it and you're giving it that chance and you're actually stressing it, there's a potential that it'll regurgitate because the bacteria sits in its salivary glands. You're enticing it to actually do that. Wonderful. So Dr. Rusk says there's really only one way to properly get rid of a tick, and that's with tweezers. The University of Manitoba has a great video demonstrating exactly how to do it. Take your tweezers, and you want to go as close to the skin as possible, and you want to hold on to your tick, and you're going to pull straight up, slowly, steadily. There's, you don't want to twist, you don't want to jerk, you just want very steadily and pull up. That's Katrin Roshan, entomologist with the U of M. If you want to see the video, look up How to Remove a Tick Manitoba on YouTube. It actually has 1.6 million views. 
You'll also want to keep that tick sealed in a bag because if you do wind up feeling sick after, you can get that tick tested. And if you do get a bite, you may not even know it. Only about 30% of people actually realize they got bit, okay? So that's not so good. Classic symptoms are you would actually get a bit of a rash there. You've now got a bacteria in you, so you usually will get a fever, muscle aches, joint aches. You feel kind of as if you got flu, but you're not coughing or you're feeling pretty lousy. If you notice any of this, just go see your doctor right away to be safe. So, Dr. Rusk, what can we do to make sure we don't get bit? Probably the most important thing is don't get bit. All right. Uh, anything else? Wear light-colored clothing. If you can tuck your pants in to your socks, that's even better because now the ticks can't even necessarily get onto you. But if it's light-colored clothing, then you can maybe see those ticks and then use DEET. DEET actually works. So if you're going out camping this weekend or at all this summer, look out for those wood ticks. They're the most common but some black-legged ticks have been seen too. There are lots of diseases you can get from ticks, notably Lyme, so get someone else to check you at the end of the day and when you get home too. And remember, use tweezers to get them off. Save the peppermint for your tea. Christian O'Mell, Global News. Thank you very much, Christian. So there you have it. There are mm-hmm. some ways to get rid of ticks the best way with a pair of, t- of tweezers. Now, we got some text messages here. We've been getting some texts. One from Jason, uh, one of our most loyal listeners to Mackling and McGarry. He sent a picture, and he says, pulled these off my dog earlier, and it uh, looks like he's got a sheet, uh, like a, a napkin, with three ticks on it. Massive some, ticks. some dog hair. Oof. Yeah, I was looking at that picture for a while thinking, uh, no, no thank you. Elsa on the subject of dogs and ticks, Elsa says, just pulled a tick off me last weekend. I was on my front lawn. A dog tick, and of course I blame the dog. First tick ever in 50 years. Ick, ick, ick. Thank you very mm-hmm. much, Elsa. Here's one, and this is, that's given the, the, the location, it's it, it might sound like we, we jest, but it is serious. And it's a, it, someone pointed out, make sure you check... Underneath a certain area downstairs, mm-hmm. uh, because they said we had one, had a tick down there, and it, it grew rather large. So that's an important place. You never know where they're going to... What spot, what dark corner of your anatomy they're going to... Well, especially when you've got them, like, crawling up your pant legs or going... I mean, that's just... that. I know that, that just that image on its own is enough for, I think, most people to squirm and... Again, I'm not really paranoid about these sorts of things, but after hearing, you know, I was outside for a couple hours, had 27 of them mm. on me. No, thank you. That's, get, no. <laughs> now we do, again, we want to make sure that to tell you, to remind you that based on Manitoba's surveillance program, most of the ticks that are found in Manitoba are the common wood tick, which does not carry Lyme, but it's still something to be cautious of, especially given this high number of ticks that people are seeing. Should we out? The text has come in here regarding one of our colleagues. Should we out? Oh, yes. He deserves it. (laughs) Okay. This is from the wife of one Kyle Milroy, who works at 680 CJOB, producer for Jeff Courier. This one time I got a tick and was changing after work in Kyle's room, and he was like, what's that? And picked it off. I said, it's a tick. And we screamed, and Kyle flicked it off. We couldn't find it, so Kyle had a tick living in his room for a while. So, sorry, Kyle. Just throwing you right under the bus. Thank you for your feedback at 204-780-6868 on ticks. And again, you know, 
just be careful out there. That's yeah. all. Just make sure you check yourself if you're going out into the wilderness. And up next, we want to switch gears. Something a lot better and something a lot tastier. I mean, unfortunately, it's still a bit of an unpleasant topic, but it isn't nearly as, I think, gross or icky as Tex. Well, when you describe it as halitosis, it sounds kind of weird. A little bit, yes. We're going to talk about bad breath going into the weekend. A lot of you might want to have some barbecues. And we have coming up the internationally recognized bad breath expert to give you some tips after your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Tristan Field-Jones. Just before we move on to our next conversation, do not barbecue your breath. We just want to quickly acknowledge these text messages that came in on the subject of ticks. Got a couple of great ones here. We had uh, someone text us saying, I am a retired locomotive engineer from CP rail the guy who fixes the tracks the section men had to stand in the long grass beside the rails to inspect passing trains and always said to keep bounce sheets in their shoes and had many less ticks that's interesting be curious to to ask an entomologist about that because i think we've actually asked uh taz stewart about bounce sheets uh, on the subject of wasps and i think he sort of raised an eyebrow over that but that's certainly interesting a lot of the times these things become old wives tales because they work dave says i think i'm fishing from my living room this year <laughs> uh i might join you dave <laughs> and what is doug say uh, doug says hey boys after a day in the woods with your lady nothing better than a good long wood tick check makes for a happy long weekend oh <laughs> uh, i love that our listeners can find humor and even the ickiest and uh, grossest of subjects but uh that's uh thanks for the text these are amazing. And you can always text us anytime, 204-780-6868. And you know what else is gross, gross, Tristan, is bad breath. No one likes it. But luckily, there are people like Dr. Harold Katz. Am I saying that right, by the way? Is it Katz or Kates? I should have had this no, duck in a row. It, it, it's it, it's cats, like uh, like the felines. Yes. Okay, very good. I, I meant to ask uh, Tristan that before we went on the air, but I forget things. Dr. Katz, thank you so much for joining us. Internationally recognized bad breath expert, and we're talking about barbecue time as we head into the long weekend. And you have some tips here about the five worst barbecue foods for your breath. Uh, I mean, is it? How can you avoid bad breath before you decide well, to sit down and have a barbecue? Well, a bad breath is caused by bacteria, and these bacteria react to different types of foods. Uh, there's a chemical process which takes place, uh, which converts some of these foods into what are called volatile sulfur compounds. Those are chemicals. One is called cadaverine, another is called uh, putrescine. You know, the smells of rotting flesh. So th- that's what one smells in bad breath. And one of the biggest offenders happens to be, let's say, on a hot day, you want to cool off with a nice cold beer. Well, the alcohol actually makes your mouth more dry. Uh, The bacteria can sense that and produce more of those sulfur compounds. So we always recommend try to stay away from the alcoholic beverages as much as possible because of the dry mouth effect. That's definitely one of the ones to avoid. Staying away from the alcoholic beverages. uh... Yes, yes. Uh, Also, we noticed that many people use a lot of barbecue sauce. If one reads the ingredients in barbecue sauce, Number one ingredient in almost every case is sugar. Uh, and sugar is a problem because it does feed the bacteria, which, which cause bad breath. Uh, so if you can make a homemade barbecue sauce, avoid the sugar. You're much better off uh, doing it that way. Do, do it yourself. And obviously, onions and garlic are going to be a problem. They already contain the sulfur compounds that are produced by the bacteria. And one of the unfortunate foods which can end up giving you bad breath 
uh, our dairy foods, particularly ice cream. Um, the uh, mechanism by which the bacteria create the odors is they actually uh, chop up the dairy proteins, extract the sulfur from the amino acids, and you end up having that uh, uh, horse flesh breath coming out of your mouth uh, because of that uh, chemical process. Dr. Katz, I have to admit, you're kind of bumming me out here because I remember we had you on <laughs> just before the uh, Christmas holidays. Yes. And at the time, you'd mentioned probably my favorite holiday food ever, eggnog. And you said that was horrific <laughs> yes. for bad breath. And now you're mentioning I love barbecue sauce. Uh, I mean, ice cream is always fantastic. I don't mind having onions and garlic, uh, you know, on, on my burger or whatever it may be. And, of course, I'm never opposed to having, you know, a nice a beer or a glass of wine, especially during a barbecue. I, I mean, it's, it's almost as if all my favorite foods are on these lists, Dr. Uh, Dr. Katz, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of well, bummed out. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, my, my nickname is Debbie Downer, so uh, you know, I, I, I hate to bring up these things. Uh, but, but there are some very simple solutions. Number one, just drink more water. Uh, I know the summer is coming up. I was uh, in eastern Canada early this week in Toronto and Montreal, and it was up to 30 degrees. And I told people in the TV stations there, just drink more water. You need to keep hydrated. You need to keep your mouth as moist as possible. Unfortunately, the, the difference between drinking a six-pack of beer and drinking a lot of water, the water will keep you hydrated, whereas the beer will, will, will actually dry out your mouth. And then if you're at a party, look for fruits and vegetables, which contain a lot of liquids, uh, celery, apples, berries. They're all fantastic for your breath because they keep your mouth moist, and they also have antioxidants in them. What you should try to avoid are the mouthwashes, which contain a lot of alcohol. Uh, leading mouthwash is 27% alcohol, more than a whole six-pack of beer. And I've, I've done that research myself. The beer does taste better, uh, but it doesn't freshen your breath either. <laughs> so, well, and on the subject of mouthwash, I mean, you, um, you have this uh, magnificent mouthwash, Therabreath. Oh. So what, what's the yeah. difference? Like, how is that different from the standard bottle of mouthwash I might find in a supermarket? Well, the major difference is it, it's based on a patented oxygenating compound. Uh, oxygen is the natural enemy of the sulfur-producing bacteria. So by using the CeraBeth mouthwash, the toothpaste, or uh, the dry mouth lozenges that we have, the oxygen literally puts a straitjacket around the bacteria so they cannot produce the sulfur compounds. And it lasts for over 12 hours each time you use it. We've done lots of research on it. Uh, a lot of this actual basic research on bad breath was, was done up in Canada at the University of British Columbia, where they discovered the bacteria that were the root cause of the problem. So we're not trying to kill off the bacteria. We just want to sort of maim them or wound them so they can't produce the sulfur compounds because that, these bacteria actually have a benefit. They actually uh, help to uh, start the, uh, the process of digestion. So using an antibiotic will not get rid of the problem. You'll also end up getting an oral yeast infection, which is not that pleasant either. Dr. Harold Katz is an internationally recognized bad breath expert, and you mentioned the dry mouth lozenge, uh, Dr. Yes. Katz. i got to tell you, our, our whole newsroom is hooked on these things. Uh, just for, for one, they're, they're delicious. But two, I, I uh, recall my first experience with the mint, and I, I thought at first, well, okay, that's just kind of, whoa. The, the, halfway through, it sort of <laughs> kicks into set, like, a, like a passing gear. What's, so how does that work? <laughs> Okay, it, it has a flower extract in it. Uh, it comes from Southeast Asia. It's called jambu. Uh, it does sound like voodoo, but it's, it's actually a flower extract that's been used in Asia for a number of years 
for people that have dry mouth. And what it does, it tingles the inside of your mouth and stimulates the salivary gland. So it's a very natural way to keep your mouth very moist. And what's unfortunate is many people are now taking various medications which can make the mouth extremely dry. And uh, a lot of uh, cancer clinics are using the CeraBreath uh, dry mouth lozenges in order to stimulate the very precious saliva. So even if you have an occasional dry mouth, they work great. What's very good is they are available in stores in your neck of the woods. They're up at Rexall and Shoppers, Walmart, Loblas. They all have them. And what I'd like to do, because you guys have been so nice, uh, actually have some free samples for your listeners. Uh, so we'll send up some mouthwash, uh, toothpaste, and lozenges. Uh, call my office. It's 800-557-9541. Uh, that way, uh, Winnipeg will be the best-smelling city in Canada. <laughs> One real quick question, Dr. Katz, before we let yes. you go here. Um, I'm just looking at the... You have an extensive list here of foods that can cause bad breath versus good breath. And what I find yes. really interesting is that, um, you know, you might think it's the junk food or the, the meat or whatever it may be, but there really isn't a general rule because under vegetables, I see, you know, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, those can cause bad breath. But also under vegetables, you have celery, carrots, and cucumbers. So when it comes to this, you simply can't rule out an entire food group for, for the result of that. Right. You have to take a look at the chemical component of those foods. Uh, the cruciferous vegetables, and I love saying that word, uh, the broccoli, the cabbage, the Brussels sprouts, they all have sulfur in them. And if you overcook them in the kitchen, you'll soon understand uh, you get a very strong odor, whereas the celery, the apples, those, those have a lot of liquid in them and very little sulfur. So all, all has to do with sulfur and the way the bacteria chop them up and produce the sulfur compounds. Dr. Harold Katz is an internationally recognized bad breath expert. For more information, go to therabreathcanada.com. It's Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling this afternoon. Hello. Greg did his remote for the Tri-Hospital Lottery, and now he's, I guess, off to do chores. He was supposed to go golfing this afternoon at Niaqua, but... That plan fell apart, so Greg, I offer you my condolences, my friend. I'm sorry that you had to go home and do chores. That's why I live in an apartment, so I don't have to do all that stuff. That's one of the reasons Your why. Your condolences? Really? That's a bit strong. He just missed out on golf. Listen here, man. Uh-oh, here it is. When, uh, here it a chance to go golfing at a mm-hmm. premier private club doesn't come up all that often. So, Right. Yeah, my condolences. As a golfer, I feel bad. You're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. So, uh, we're still That's how we this. solve things as, as adults here, by the way, just like that. Anyway, sorry, Brett, go ahead. <laughs> Coming up next half hour, we have Dr. Cyrus. He's going to come in and address this headline, Our Therapists Just Rent a Friends. Dr. Cyrus is a therapist. He's a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates, so we will talk to him about that. But this half hour, one of the, the great joys that I have taken in this job since I have become a co-host in this time slot since late last August, was that we we get to talk to so many great authors, and they send us their books for free. So that's wonderful. And this latest book we want to talk about is called Dante's Infinite Monkeys, Technology Meets the Seven Deadly Sins. And the author of this book is Mike Dover. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Mike, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. So it's an exploration of the dark side of today's technology. What made you decide to take this exploration? 
Well, I've been studying the impact of technology on business models and society for about 20 years. And most of the work that I've done is all about the really great things technology does. So I thought I would balance that a little bit with this project because, you know, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not a Luddite. I think there's really wonderful things it's done, but there's scary things as well. So I thought it would be interesting to explore that. So when you say that you're not anti-technology, for example, you're not, uh, you're not subscribing to the, the notion that uh, the machines are going to rise up against us one day and we should all abandon our computers? Well, I, the, the machines may rise up. I think that it's almost impossible the machines won't be smarter than us by the time that our kids are, are adults. But I'm still hopeful that it's not necessarily they'll turn into Terminators. <laughs> I was just going to say, Brett, I think you've been watching Terminator a little too much here. But, I do uh, watch many science fiction films. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you this question here. Uh, I just, uh, while reading the introduction of your book here, I noticed a fascinating case. Uh, I'm just trying to look it up here. Of the Silk Road and the L- L- Young Libertarian Merchant. Um, and I, I think this really kind of uh, uh, emphasizes how technology has evolved in a way that's almost beyond our control. Uh, Mike, why don't you just briefly use this as an example about the Silk Road and the dark web? Yeah, so the Silk Road in this case, it was named after the road from ancient times that connected China and uh, the Middle East. And those two thriving communities that really didn't have a lot of uh, communication with each other outside of this. So the Silk Road was used to be a online marketplace, sort of an eBay or an Amazon where you could buy anything. In fact, the guy who was arrested, which is told in, in that chapter that you referenced, actually used it to hire a hitman. Ooh. And when you, you could use it to buy you know, drugs, and the drugs were rated properly, just like uh, Amazon or eBay. You could say, this you know, gave me a really good high. It was delivered on time. It was delivered in a nice package. Uh, so I would definitely recommend this person again. The, when we talk about the dark web, for those who are unfamiliar with this, because it's a term that gets bandied about, uh, Tristan referenced films. I mean, I hear it all the time on shows like CSI. What is the dark web? Well, the easiest way to think about it, it's, it's part of the Internet, and a big part. It's probably about 90%, but it's part of the Internet that isn't accessible through normal means. So you couldn't go into Google and type in a, a site and have it be referenced. You would need to know specifically what the number was. So into your browser bar, you would have to already know the destination. It would probably look like an obscure number with a bunch of periods in it. Okay. And so yeah, that yeah that. But it ends up being much bigger than what normal people know about. But it it's uh, inaccessible to most people. So when you say that the internet's capacity for good is matched only by its capacity to empower evil, is that uh, part of what's contributing to that statement? It is, and I think the, the one of the original premises of the book was that technology isn't evil, but it can accelerate evil. And what's one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book through the lens of the seven deadly sins. So in many cases, it says if you were wanting to do something that would be bad, having something like the Internet and other technologies can amplify that and make your bad act to be much greater or much bigger. Mike, when you were doing research for this book, and we use that example of of the Silk Road, you know, I um, I, I it is almost uh, unbelievable from my perspective that we live in a day and age 
where there are places if you know the right numbers to punch in and you know the right people to access, you can order an assassination online. You can order highly volatile or highly illegal products online. And that, to me, just sounds... I mean, you know, we referenced sci-fi movies earlier. How many sci-fi movies was that an actual, that actually happened? And here we are living in an age where, granted, it's not rampant by any means, but that must have really been a wake-up call. It is. It is really scary. And it's also, from an academic's point of view, very interesting. So if you were to order an assassin through one of these sites, the assassins actually list their criteria, their business models. So some, for example, say... Uh, I won't assassinate a child, or I won't assassinate a political figure. It's actually listed up that, just as if you were going on eBay and, you know, ordering an Angora scarf. Mike Dover is our guest. He is the author of Dante's Infinite Monkeys, Technology Meets the Seven Deadly Sins, an Exploration of the Dark Side of Today's Technology. Dover is also a business professor and co-author of Wikibrands. And you know what, while I'm mentioning that, uh, why don't we just take a sidestep here for a moment. What is Wikibrands? Oh, that is a business um, uh, technology book, and I wrote that with my friend Sean Moffat, and that was basically looking at having, how having authentic conversations with your customers, enabled through technology, uh, brings to a deeper relationship with them. Now, uh, Mike, I have to ask, uh, you, you said you framed this through the seven deadly sins. And for those of you who don't remember them off the top of your head, those sins, greed, wrath, envy, lust, sloth, pride, and gluttony. I thought it was fascinating the way that this was framed from a modern 21st century perspective. Why don't you go through some of the more interesting ones and how you frame sort of this ancient concept in, in today's technologically advanced lens, if you will? Sure. Well, do you want to pick one or do you want me to pick yeah, one? You, well, you know, what was the one that you thought was the most interesting to frame in a modern context? Probably wrath. And one of the uh, subcategories of wrath talks about uh, online vigilante justice. So when people are saying, let's uh, uh, name and shame somebody. And like regular in the real world, some people call it meat space, but in the real world, vigilante justice is usually bad. There may be some reasons to have vigilante justice if the official justice system is either inept or corrupt. And you can have online an online mob say, no, you've ignored this case, we want you to bring it to life. But there's reasons why we don't have vigilante justice, because they're not accountable as our police and our, our courts are. So there, there's some good examples that I talk in the book about how people were really overpunished for what would be a minor crime, well, or not even a crime. Now, can wrath also be likened to something uh, a bit simpler, like an internet troll? Absolutely. Yeah, and so internet trolls, mostly they are set up to cause trouble for their own amusement and try to rile somebody up. It can get more intense than that. I talk about something called doxing, which is D-O-X-X-I-N-G, and in that case, you make somebody into a celebrity or a target that doesn't want to be. So if I disagreed with you online, I'm going to then publish your home phone number and your address and where your kid goes to school and have uh, all of my accomplices or people I don't even know go and contact them. What is and that, it, happen, that happens, unfortunately, quite a bit. What is it about the Internet that, that makes it 
that makes people act this way, that turns us into trolls? Is it the fact that it's just so easily accessible? I think that it's really powerful, and there may not be necessarily more people who want to uh, participate in this, but the people who do can be much more powerful. So especially when these groups can um, work as an army, they call themselves a, you know, a troll army, and they say, okay, I want everybody to phone this person at home because they said something online that I disagree with, then 100,000 people could phone that person. That wasn't accessible before the Internet. Mike, I have to ask, I mean, we, jumping off of wrath, I mean, a lot of us, I, I think we tend to live in a fake outrage world nowadays. I mean, there are so many things that people get outraged over and mad about. Uh, I, I think one of the best examples I can think of that comes off the top of my mind is when Steve Martin tweeted about uh, Carrie Fisher uh, just after she passed away. And she he'd mentioned that she was a, a, a beautiful woman and then said he was so glad she became, you know, smart and witty and people were you know, outraged because how dare he mention her looks before, you know, her brains. And I just have to wonder, you know, as just an average citizen, as, as someone who is extremely careful with, you know, what I, what I say on the internet, because I know that it could just blow up, anything really could blow up in the wrong direction. I have to get your perspective on this, Mike. How do you think this will impact our future conversations in an era where, it's so easy and so accessible to be outraged over absolutely anything. Well, it's a very interesting topic, and I agree with you on the Steve Martin tweet. And uh, many people immediately came to his defense saying, you know who wouldn't have been offended by that? Carrie Fisher. Mm -hmm. She would have thought, yeah, that was great. And she was a beautiful woman. And the first time he encountered her, before he talked to her, he didn't know she was smart. He said, wow, she's a really beautiful woman. And then I spoke with her, and I found that she's really smart as well. He didn't mean for that to be offensive. She wouldn't have been offended by it. And one of the best responses I saw to that particular tweet was somebody saying, you are now addicted to, to uh, being offended. You know, go outside, go do something else. So there's a couple ways of handling it. Um, one, of course, you should be careful about what you, what you say. And another one is sort of sticking with what you do. So Tina Fey, for example, about, I guess about a year ago, she posted and says, you know what, I'm not apologizing for jokes anymore. We spent a lot of our time working on these jokes. Here's what my show is about. Because some people were offended by uh, a joke on Kimmy Schmidt that they thought was uh, racist. So well, we thought a lot about that joke, and we're standing by it. Bill Burr says something similar. He says, you know, if you're offended by something I said 12 years ago, go back in time and yell at me for that. <laughs> so, I mean, we should be careful, but... Um, I th I, this is an original thought, but I've heard people say that if everything is an outrage, then nothing is. Personally, I think that the people who are on Facebook every day writing 10 nasty things about, about Donald Trump, say, who are you convincing other than each other? You know, pick the things he says that are really actually offensive rather than trying to find something new every day. I mean, there's lots you could be offended. Mike Dover is our guest. We're going to pause the conversation. We need to check your forecast. But he is the author of Dante's Infinite Monkeys, Technology Meets the Seven Deadly Sins. And we will carry on our chat and talk about a couple of the other deadly sins that are referenced in this book after we have a look at your forecast up next. I'm Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling today. And our guest is Mike Dover. He is the author of a book called Dante's Infinite Monkeys, Technology Meets the Seven Deadly Sins. We're talking about an exploration of the dark side of today's technology.
technology and one of the ways that the news release that goes with this, Mike, is framed. It says, so what is the meaning of each of the seven deadly sins in a Facebook world? So we've talked about wrath. What about this one here? Uh, the, what about gluttony in today's day and age? Well, gluttony, I thought, was one of the most interesting because the, the idea of it has changed. If you look back originally when these, uh, this list was put together, gluttony was usually about somebody hoarding too much food to eat, whereas today that's not necessarily the case, certainly not in, in, in Canada and the U.S. It's um, often the poorest people who are, are suffering from obesity. So in more of what I talked about in that chapter was gluttony at a meta level of people. If you're interested in just one point of view, you can have an unlimited amount of information to back that up. So, for example, if you think that vaccine causes autism, you have hundreds of thousands of people who believe you every day and are posting memes and um, uh, news reports or whatever that backs up that point of view. And you get into these little echo chambers that reinforce what you believe and that's different than we would have had, we would have seen pre-internet. That's actually interesting because that gets me to thinking about the way that I tend to consume information. Sometimes I get a little obsessive about a particular topic when I'm looking into it, and then I can suffer from uh, what I would liken to just straight-up information overload uh, to the point where I almost feel like my brain kind of just shuts down because I've bombarded it with way too much information that I've sort of inhaled from the internet. That's absolutely true. Mike, I, uh, on the topic of gluttony as well, you mentioned here how technology has changed our relationship with food. On a very kind of superficial level, I guess, th- the first thing that came to mind was people who post um, you know, food photos on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever. I can't stand food photos. Those just come across as obnoxious to me and also make me hungry. But... You know, that that to me is it's I I know that it's under the category of gluttony, but it also seems to fall into some of these other deadly sins, too. Yeah, it could be pride and it could be envy as well. So pride could be, hey, look how look at my life. Look, I'm having this really fancy food. I'm out having fun and you're not. And that could get into the pride part. From the envy point of view as the flip side, there's been two really good studies, and one was rigorous, uh, and it was just released last month, talking about how being on Facebook depresses people. And that's because you're comparing somebody else's highlight reel to your cutting room floor. So most people on Facebook are saying, hey, I just got engaged, I just got into law school, I'm going to uh, the French Riviera. People generally don't post things like, you know, I screwed up at work last night and everybody had to stay an hour late. Or I'm, I'm worried that my sister is drinking too much. So <laughs> people just compare and say, wow, everybody's having a great time except for me. And it can lead to uh, lead to depression. Yeah, because and, and also part of the problem there is that you, uh, uh, you know, more often than not, those more negative posts are super passive aggressive or super vague. Having a bad day today because, you know, oh, it was uh, it, the, the, the traffic was really bad. It's something super vague. And, and, you know, I'll see that on my Facebook page once in a while and just think, I don't need to hear from you anymore. Yeah. And sometimes people even worse are saying, and, oh, having a bad day, sort of you know, inviting sympathy. <laughs> Although, personally, I don't see that as much because I tend to take those people off my feed. So you don't necessarily need to unfriend them, but if there's somebody on that that was really looking for more attention than I wanted to give, I would just turn them turn it off so I wouldn't I wouldn't see that those posts show up. Now, Mike, uh, I know we kind of discussed sort of the the superficial issues. I mean, internet trolls and sort of the outrage industry, and again, Instagram photos of food. But there's a really interesting question here 
that's a bigger picture issue and and maybe, you know, uh, possibly a near future issue as well, where will it eventually become, I guess, child abuse if you choose not to optimize, you know, your fetus? Is that considered parental abuse uh, compared to what may be one day enhanced classmates? That's not this year, but that could very well become an issue within our lifetimes. I think it will. And it it reminds you of the movie Gattaca. Mm -hmm. And usually in those situations, we're taught that you're playing God, bad things will happen. Um, And, but it's kind of like, um, are you giving your kids vaccines? If not, they're going to get sick. That's technology. That's playing God in a sense. If your kid can't see properly, are you going to get them glasses or contacts? You know, if they need therapy and sometimes are you going to do it? So it'll be very, it'll be very tricky for people to turn that down of saying that if you're a utero, if, if you're a fetus and we give you a little bit of testosterone at this point and makes you three times stronger, three times more resistant to cancer, it'd be hard to argue against, even though it sounds it, like it sounds ethically wrong. And it, it, like it's, it sounds like it rubs you the wrong way, doesn't it? Unfortunately, the clock has just rubbed us the wrong way. We are out of time with our guest, Mike Dover, who is the author of Dante's Infinite Monkeys, Technology Meets the Seven Deadly Sins. It's an exploration of the dark side of today's technology. You can purchase the book at HumberPress.com and Amazon.com. Not yet available at Amazon.ca, so if you want to buy it online, you can go to HumberPress.com or Amazon.com. Dr. Cyrus joins us after Global News. It's Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling today. And Dr. Cyrus is here. It's Friday at 2.30. That means our friend Dr. Cyrus Dirksen of Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates is here. He is a psychologist. His website, drcyrus.com. And Tristan found an article here at Psychology Today. The headline reads, Our Therapists Just Rent-A-Friends. So, Dr. Cyrus, I wanted to get your immediate reaction to that. Well, you know, it's not something that I hear every day, but it is something that I have heard before. And uh, it's one of those things that I think uh, is in one some ways totally untrue and in other ways, uh, you know, has some truth to it um, in that uh, I think that friends can have a really big impact on mental health. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything I, I wish we all had friends that we could talk to and be open with, and I think that that would be very helpful for people. And I think that sometimes when people come in, it's uh, it's true. It's because they don't have that kind of support because they may be moved or because they haven't had the skills to build those kind of networks. Uh, so, I, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, kind of a bit of one and a bit of the other. Dr. Cyrus, I have to, uh, I, I found this article and uh, there was part of me that could, 
you know, I was thinking of a few friends of mine who would agree 100% with the, mm-hmm. you know, assessment that therapists are just rent of friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to ask from your perspective, you mentioned uh, you know, sometimes you think it's part of you thinks it's right, part of you thinks it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Delve into that a little bit more. I'd be interested in knowing, uh, you know, which, which is it the psychologist in you that, uh, that thinks it's, it's correct or mm-hmm. you know, just delve into that a bit. Well, I think like, uh, you know, the idea that a, a friendship is, uh, you know, the same as, as uh, you know, therapy, I think is wrong uh, in that, um, you know, there's a lot of aspects of therapy that are very, uh, you know, dissimilar to, uh, you know, a friendship. Like, I mean, just to kind of say a few of them, um, you know, therapy is confidential. Now you could say friendship is confidential and that might be true. Uh, there's a lot of other things as well. Friendship uh, usually involves a conversation, uh, you know, where you're trying to meet each other's needs. In therapy, um, I, people aren't there to meet my needs at all. It's kind of one way entirely, you know. So even just, you know, some of these structural things about, uh, you know, about therapy make it just kind of categorically different. I think the idea of it being uh, similar to a friendship is uh, just the idea that, you know, uh, I think people are correct in saying that friendships are helpful for mental health in the same way that therapists are helpful for mental health. Uh, I think both are relationships. And I think that uh, not every friend is helpful for your mental health, obviously. But uh, there are some people out there that I would actually consider to be natural therapists. And, and some people engage in friendships in a way that are less like a friendship and more like a therapy session. So that doesn't mean that those... Uh, that that means therapy is like a friendship. It just means that some friendships are like therapy. Um, and and that might be the case. Well, I, I, I know that I have uh, only, I have many friends, but I only have a, a very small handful of friends where if something is really bothering me, mm-hmm. where I, will, where I right. feel comfortable enough opening up to them. And that's not to say that some friends are, have poor intentions. It's just mm-hmm. uh, I've come to realize that, oh, you know what, I can entrust this person with mm-hmm. what I'm feeling and know that they're going to hear me out. Mm-hmm. I guess, if can you offer any advice to people who uh, are, want to be helpful with their friends but maybe are kind of clumsy about it? Like, what would you, is there any advice you can offer? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I'm always trying to help people. Like, couples will come in and maybe one partner has depression or, you know, suffering from something uh, in their mental health or is going through a very difficult time in life and their partner's like, I have no idea what to say to them. I don't know how to support them. Uh, And I think it's great. Uh, I actually like teaching, you know, in the past I taught courses on how to to, uh, be helpful in mental health. And uh, one of the main things I teach people is just how to be empathic and how to listen. Sounds very uh, like something that would be, you know, perhaps just hard to teach more of a, you know, a personality trait or something like that. Uh, or just about kind of a sincere look. Uh, but actually teaching people how to listen, how to be empathic uh, is something that's very, you can make it very skill oriented um, and you can kind of teach the steps to doing it, uh, you know, in a very kind of one, two, three fashion. And I, and so it, people can learn, you know, just in the same way that you train therapists. Um, and, and, you know, I think in some ways uh, I've, uh, I've found that um, when people have come to work for me in my clinic or when I met people, it's become, you know, apparent over time that 
you know, you do need to learn certain things to be a good therapist, uh, and it's very important. And uh, so I don't, I get, you know, I've actually through my career, I've probably moved farther away from just thinking that, you know, just anybody can be a therapist or that you can just step off the street and as long as you sit in a chair, you're going to be a good therapist. That's just doesn't seem to be the case at all. Well, and this isn't directly related to our conversation, but as, as things tend to happen here on this show, they, the conversation starts from point A to point V and then we veer <laughs> off to point yes. X. But let's say, for example, you're in a relationship mm-hmm. and your partner is depressed and, and not just kind of ho-hum sad, but seriously depressed. Mm-hmm. And it's it's having an effect on your relationship. And you, you recognize this. My partner is depressed and it's... It sucks because I don't know what to do and I want to be supportive, mm-hmm. but I also want to be happy. And this is making me unhappy, mm-hmm. but I feel bad about that. Does right. that make sense? Where oh, the, yeah, the, definitely. the web I just spun? Yeah. So what do you do if you're in that position? Like divorce rates go up for people who are in relationships that have a mental health issue, especially when they're significant. Uh, so mental health, um, I don't think anybody would argue with the idea that you know serious mental health uh, issues that are prolonged, uh, you know, really impact partners. And, you know, uh, the idea of, uh, of figuring out how to be helpful is one thing. And the idea of figuring out how to be happy and, and, you know, in that relationship is another, um, the, you know, when you, when you want to be helpful to people who are, uh, you know, too hard, who are depressed when you're in a relationship, I think that there's a certain role for a partner and then there's a role for a therapist and maybe they're a little bit different and they also overlap. Like, I think it's good for partners uh, you know, to expect things from, uh, you know, uh, from spouses who are, who are depressed. Like, I don't think it's good, uh, just to have a 100%, you know, go with the flow, whatever you need. It's okay. I think everybody needs a little bit of a push. Everybody needs a little bit of, uh, su- you know, supportive encouragement, you could say. Um, on the other hand, the, the sick role is there for a reason. We want to let people be sick and give them space to recover. That's also important. Um, but I, I do think that partners in that situation really often do need kind of support from a therapist. And just because when you have significant mental health issues, you just, uh, it becomes overwhelming for friends. It becomes overwhelming for, for spouses. And, and it's just nice to have a place where, you know, you can't wear your therapist out. Uh, you can just be yourself and not have to be concerned about, uh, you know, the impact you're having on the person you're talking to. Dr. Cyrus, you mentioned earlier that some people are natural therapists. And Mm. I I have to wonder, how can you tell? Because some some people don't realize that uh, simply listening... It can be incredibly valued, especially in a day and mm-hmm. age where there are so many distractions out there. Sometimes just listening to people, and mm-hmm. I, I've had this happen to me before where mm-hmm. I, I listened to a friend of mine and mm-hmm. it averted a potential catastrophe for him. Definitely. So how can you tell if you are one of these you know, natural therapists? Well, the first thing is to probably not evaluate yourself. People are terrible at evaluating right. their own listening skills. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's above average. It's one of those things, you know, everybody's a good driver kind of thing, uh, you know, and, um, so the best feedback you can get about your listening skills is from people who can be honest with you about, about, uh, whether you're a good listener. Um, and that's hard to find as well. The, uh, another sign would be, do people want to talk to you? Um, people generally, if you're a good listener, people will want to talk to you more, uh, if you're not a good listener, generally they'll say, mm-hmm, you know, and then they'll kind of 
say, how is your day doing? And, and talk about you maybe and then end the conversation. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's some signs, uh, but generally you can't evaluate yourself very well. When it comes to listening as well, I think uh, a lot of times we have this tendency to, if someone comes to you and they they start venting, mm-hmm. for a lot of us, we, we go into, the, particularly guys, we go into this, oh, well, I must solve this problem. Right, I yes. must fix this problem. <laughs> yeah. So here's my advice. Right. And I know for me, mm-hmm. my instant reaction, and some, like sometimes I'm thinking it in my head, but a lot of times <laughs> I'll just say, look, I don't want your advice. Right. <laughs> I'm just tell, I just want you to listen. Why do we have that instinct to got to fix this? I think we're uncomfortable with pain. Uh, I think people are just very uncomfortable with other people having problems. And uh, we want to be helpful. We want to, uh, we want everybody to feel good and we want them to feel good now, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and we also, I think that there's this, another element where we want to be not just helpful to the person so that they feel better, but we want to be a helpful person. I think that there's a lot of power in helping. And, um, and so like giving is better than receiving uh, psychologically. And it makes us feel powerful and good to be, uh, you know, walking around and helping everybody else. So uh, there's a lot of things that go behind behind the fixing it mentality. And I think you're right. I think a lot of times people want to fix the problems themselves. And that's one of the things that's actually different about a good therapist is, you know, you, you go to a therapist and sometimes they want you to fix the problem and you go to your spouse and they want to fix the problem for you. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, that's just another one of the, the differences. Often therapists are trying to help you, uh, you know, more supportive of independence uh, than a lot of friends and family will be. I think Brett brings up a great point about, you know, sometimes maybe you've already found a solution to the problem or right. maybe you don't even need a solution, but sometimes you just need to yell about something. Uh, and I will, of course, admit that I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> but uh, how can can we all, and, and I, th- I think this is a lesson that everybody can learn from, how can we become better listeners? It's so, incred- as you said, it's so incredibly difficult to sort of self-evaluate. Mm-hmm. But what are some steps that you can do if someone comes up to you and just wants to vent and, and to stop yourself from immediately giving that advice? You know, I find that uh, this is, this, this is uh, since I've taught courses on this, I find it extremely difficult uh, to, I found that that's a, a very difficult skill to teach. Um, people, especially uh, just through talking and lecturing, I find that I can lecture for a short amount of time or a long amount of time on listening and then uh, everybody will feel like they understand and that they're good listeners and then I'll put people in a position where they're actually asked to listen to somebody and they find themselves uh, you know, unable. Uh, you know, I would give people a situation where I would say, you're not allowed to give advice, you're not allowed to ask questions. Uh, you're not allowed to give positive feedback. You're not allowed to give negative feedback. You're not allowed to talk about similar stories or yourself in any way. Now, what do you do? And people, even when after I explain what to do, people are at a at a complete loss because uh, they've never spoken in a way like that before. Well, it's yeah. What are you? What can you say? It almost sounds like you, you can't. You can't ask questions. You can't give advice. You can't. What can you say? Okay. Well, what's left? I'm glad you asked that. I, yeah, I guess there's a gap there. Uh, what you what you say, uh, and this is what therapists often do, is you uh, you capture in your words what the other person is trying to say. Uh, you help them to express themselves, and you prove basically that you understand what they're saying. Uh, so, uh, sum, to sum it up, you take a guess at what the other person's saying. Um, normally in conversations, normally in friendships. Person A talks and then person B talks. 
person A is talking about themselves and person B is talking about themselves. In um, in a more of a therapeutic sense, uh, person A talks and then the therapist talks about what person A is talking about. And so there is no person B in that conversation, or at least not nearly as much. Okay, we're going to carry on our conversation with Dr. Cyrus. We the, the headline that triggered our conversation, which we've sort of deviated from, is our therapists just rent-a-friends? And we'll bring it back to that. DrCyrus.com is his website. He's a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. We'll have a look at your forecast up next. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for GMAC today. And Dr. Cyrus is here. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, a psychologist. His website, drcyrus.com. We're talking about the, an article from Psychology Today, the headline, Are Therapists Just Rent-A-Friends? And Dr. Cyrus, I have to ask, uh, you know, there are a few people that I can think of within my lifetime. People, mm-hmm. they may not have been necessarily close friends or family members, but it's just examples that come to mind. Uh, someone that clearly needs help. They mm-hmm. need to talk to a professional. They need a therapist, a psychologist, whatever it may be. And so, you know, you mention it to them and you say, I can't help you. You need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And of course, more often than not, their response is, eh, therapy doesn't work. Mm-hmm. How do you convince someone like that to see a professional? Well, some people have had experiences where uh, where therapy hasn't worked. Therapy doesn't always work. Um, you can make therapy more effective by finding a therapist that, uh, you know, fits with you. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the other therapist wasn't capable or competent. It just means that sometimes, um, you can fit better. You can work better with some therapists more than others. So, and, uh, so that's, that's one thing. The other thing that you can tell people is the, something that you can use maybe to convince people to come in is that we have tests. We have things that uh, we can assess people. Um, and it's a bit more concrete than just talking. Uh, so sometimes people like that. Um, like, for example, we have uh, you know a personality test. One is called the MMPI. It's been around for a while, so there's more uh, kind of research on it. And it's more accurate than a home pregnancy test. Uh, another test that we use is a, kind of a cognitive test. If people are thinking they might have you know, ADHD, like adult ADHD, or maybe a learning disorder. And that one's more accurate than an x-ray looking for cavities. Uh, We have neuropsychological tests, um, you know, that maybe look at dementia or something like that. I don't test uh, for dementia, but it's more accurate than an MRI. So, you know, we have tests that we use. This is, again, another one of the ways that... um, that uh, therapists are, in this case, psychologists are different than a friend. We can kind of use things to take another look at you and uh, and see what might be more helpful in your life. The subheadline for this article uh, is a lot of people doubt that therapy works and asks the question, are they right? So what would you say to that? Why do people doubt that therapy works? Well, I think that um, it's it's kind of like a lot of the other treatments out there uh, it's not 100% effective. Uh, I mean, if therapy uh, worked in the way that people would, in the way that we'd all like it to work, then there would be no more mental health problems. Um, and I think people just have a trouble with the idea that talking might help because we're all talking all the time. 
Uh, we're all eating all the time. That doesn't mean it's all the same. Uh, so, you know, if you take a pill or versus, you know, eat a cheeseburger, it's going to have a different effect. Um, but just this idea that I talk to people all the time and sometimes talk about my feelings uh, just means that maybe therapy is the same thing. In terms of effectiveness, I think, you know, therapy generally is, uh, you know, has a similar effectiveness uh, as medication. I would argue that it's probably more effective than, uh, you know, than medication. And they've even found that people who, uh, where, where medication didn't work, uh, that therapy continued to work for them, you know, where they were two and a half times more likely to get better even when the medication uh, didn't work if they continued with therapy afterwards. Uh, or even if they continued to take the ineffective medication and they tried therapy afterwards, it was two and a half more times. Uh, anyway, so there's lots of, I mean, the, the research just goes on and on about uh, how effective therapy is. Um, but of course, we just would all like it to be 100%. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. And if you want to get in touch with him, his website is drcyrus.com. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling today and still to come this half hour, not right now, but sometime soon, we are going to give away some tickets for Unraveling the Wilburys. So wait for your cue on that one. We're also going to hear from Hal Anderson, 34th greatest Canadian of all time, coming up after the 3.30 news. He's going to join us to tell us what he's got coming up this weekend, over the long weekend, in fact. But right now, I want to talk about an important subject, Star Trek. The eagle has landed. Mars has come for man. One Space. The final frontier. It's a big week for Trekkers, I'd like to think, Tristan, because CBS launched the first trailer, the first look trailer, Mm -hmm. for its new show, Star Trek Discovery. You're a fan of Star Trek. Certainly, yes. So what was your reaction when you saw the trailer? Uh, Frankly, I was bored by it. Really? I have to be 100% honest. I was bored by it. I, um... uh, I've seen episodes from uh, all of the TV shows. I've seen the recent... I I think I've seen almost all of the movies... Uh, I've seen all the the recent reboot, uh, the Abrams-verse movies, as they call them, the ones that are uh, directed or produced by J.J. Abrams. Um, And this trailer, frankly, it's not a bad trailer, but it kind of bored me. Here is something that will not bore you, but it will certainly infuriate you in traffic. Route 90 in Corridon, southbound, right-hand lane. Of course. Blocked by a stalled moving truck. Route 90 and Corridon, southbound right-hand lane, blocked by a stalled moving truck. My condolences and Godspeed if you're heading that way. Here's another clip from the trailer for Star Trek Discovery. Captain, where are we going? We have no map, and you can't set a course without a star. It's hard to imagine. You've served under me for seven years. Commander Burnham. I think it is time we talked about you having your own command. Tutor transport. So Discovery is set 10 years before Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise, and stars Sonequa Martin-Green, who played Sasha in The Walking Dead, and Michelle Yao as the captain. What am I looking at? Object of unknown origin. We've come all this way, Captain. It would be irresponsible to leave whatever that is unknown. What have you done out there on the edge of Federation space? Computer, 
enable igniter. The cast also includes Jason Isaacs, who was Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies, and Doug Jones, who played Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, and all the scary things in Pan's Labyrinth. Klingons are in it too. It's going to air in the U.S. on CBS's internet service, CBS All Access, and will air in Canada on the Space Channel. We target its neck, cut off its head. Starfleet doesn't fire first. We have to. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. I sense it coming now. Again, that's set to debut this fall. It will air in Canada on the Space Channel as well as Crave TV. I don't know. I thought that sounds kind of cool, but you're not impressed. No, I'm not impressed. And it's uh, this has nothing to do with it being kind of a more modern, updated Trek. Uh, it simply put, the trailer didn't really impress me. It didn't. I mean, this is my philosophy when it comes to trailers, and I might be different from the norm. My problem is that too many trailers for TV or for movies. They're basically just montages. Mm -hmm. And I love trailers that can tell a story. I think it's amazing when in under three minutes you can have a trailer that really, you know, brings you into the universe, that really tells you something. Uh, One of my favorite trailers of all time was for Tron Legacy. You remember the very first teaser trailer they had? Yes. Long story short was basically it was kind of um, a a light cycle chase. Mm -hmm. And it was such a great trailer, in my opinion, because it was a story. And uh, it pulled you into that universe because it it was basically a clip. It was almost a clip from the movie. Um, And like another one of my favorite trailers was for Avatar, uh, the James Cameron flick, Mm -hmm. which I thought was mediocre at best, frankly. But the trailer was great because it told you a story. And the trailer for this new Star Trek uh, Discovery series didn't tell me anything, frankly. I mean, it was just – it was a montage of stuff and – it wasn't bad. The production looks great, but it's. I, I need something more than just, well, this takes place 10 years before Kirk and Spock and the original gang. Well, so what? One of the things that, uh, and Ted, the quality of trailers between television shows and films is, is always, they're, movie trailers are streets ahead of TV trailers mm-hmm. in terms of their quality. Uh, I would like, I think back to the trailer for Superman Returns. I, I don't know if you recall that. The movie itself was ho-hum, but I remember the, the teaser trailer yes. being quite... Uh, I'm just looking for a clip here. Hang on one. With the original John Williams score, I believe, from the first Superman movie. Uh, and uh, yes, I do remember that one. That's a great example of a fantastic teaser trailer. Yeah, oh, and actually I have it. Uh, so this is the original music, as you mentioned, from I believe this is the Planet Krypton theme. Not to get super nerdy here or anything, but Tristan raised a good point. I think we're past that already. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Tristan raised a good point in that a good trailer should... You know you've been raised as a human being. You are not one of them. Yeah, so you get the Marlon Brando music. He played... uh, Son of, what is it? What does Zod always say? Come to me, son of Jor-El. Kneel before Zod. Yeah, so... I, that, that this teaser was the best part of the film. Also, I think of the trailers for 300. I don't know if you recall those, but I think oh, those, yes. those trailers actually really helped, I think, sort of redefine the way that movies, uh, movie trailers and television trailers are done. And 
It's funny because I'm not a huge Star Trek guy. Like right. I, I enjoy the Star Trek films, the rebooted ones, and I watch the occasional episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And I know that real Trekkers will. What you 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 watch the occasional episode? But yeah, I just watched the occasional episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and and for the original one. So I'm not like I I I like it, but mm-hmm. it's not like for me. Star Wars is like my right. That's your go-to sci-fi franchise. Yes. I will say this, and this might be super controversial amongst a few people. Uh, I don't blame you for only watching a couple episodes of, the, of Star Trek: The Next Generation because it's a hugely overrated series. Whoa, Tristan Field Jones, fire some shots. There are going to be people looking to make it so all over your head. Uh, but I found this article I, from Collider that says the first Star Trek Discovery trailer makes the new CBS series look disappointing and confusing. So I just wanted to point that out to you, Tristan, that you're not alone in that thought. I thought it looked kind of cool, but at the same time, I don't know that I'm going to go out of my way to watch it. But if you are a Star Trek fan and haven't seen it, just look for Star Trek Discovery First Look trailer. And again, it's airing in the States on their all-access internet-based series, but we are going to get it on space as well as Crave TV. In the meantime, we're going to have a look at your forecast and traffic up next. Tristan, Field Jones in for Greg Mackling. It is time to give some stuff away. We have two tickets. Wednesday, May 24th. This upcoming Wednesday, Burton Cummings Theatre, Unraveling the Wilburys. Everybody's got somebody to lean on. Put your body. So today's question, and Tristan's going to pose the question for you in a moment. We actually do have a trivia question today. Yesterday we just went with caller number four. Although I think we came up with three potential trivia questions while we were executing the contest. We just kept giving away trivia ideas, so we sort of shot ourselves in the foot here. But luckily Tristan Field-Jones is here to save the day. And today's question, well, first just listen to this. Right, so here's the question you need to answer if you want to qualify for this here. What is the name of the song that's playing right now and name the Canadian band that covered this song? So again, need the title of this song and the name of the Canadian band that covered it. 204-780-6868. We need you to call 204-780-6868. And if you know the answer, then you could be going to see... Unraveling the Wilburys uh, tribute Wednesday, May 24th, this upcoming Wednesday, Burton Cummings Theatre. Tristan, I wanted to mention here, we were talking earlier to Mike Dover, who is the author of Dante's Infinite Monkeys, Mm -hmm. Technology Meets the Seven Deadly Sins, which is an exploration of the dark side of today's technology. And Ryan sent us a couple of texts here that uh, hopefully he's got no problem with me reading them. And because I, it sort of ties in. I mean, it's certainly not dark, but I, I do think that the part of the, the point of the book was, you know, what are the, the context of the seven deadly sins in a Facebook world? So Ryan says he's been social media free since 2014. Thumbs up emoji. It's awesome, says Ryan. And uh, I replied to him and I said, Ryan, good for you. I have managed to avoid the tweeters and the Snapchats 
but I'm still on Bookface and the Instagram. Ryan does say I keep a false Facebook account to link games to and have Gmail, obviously, but I choose to disassociate with internet happenings, and I find I'm a much happier person for it. And now seeing how people are on these things from an outside perspective, I see how people are totally hooked, and I would go as far to say are sick from this addiction. People put so much into life online that they are missing out on so many things that help one maintain reality. Ryan, getting deep on a Friday afternoon. You know, as, as, well, uh, as people who work in the news business, at least myself, Twitter is an outstanding source for news, so long as it is verified and not the so-called fake news, if you will. Mm-hmm. But Twitter is a really great source for breaking news. So I don't have the luxury of being without Twitter or Facebook, considering where I work. And even if I didn't work in an industry like this, I would probably still have uh, both of them to uh, to use because they are, frankly, tremendous sources of information. Well, Twitter, indeed, I, I think that was maybe its original... The original idea behind Twitter was sort of like an an evolved RSS feed, right? Where an RSS feed being you would subscribe to whatever websites and then you would open up your RSS reader. So all of, instead of going to like, let's say you had a a checklist of websites that you went to, be it cjob.com, globalnews.com, CNN, whatever, Sports Illustrated, they would all come to you. So then Twitter was kind of the next step in that where it was, Mm -hmm. you could just subscribe to all these different feeds and all of your information would be aggregated in this one giant feed. But then it became, I think the, the, the first sort of knock against it was, Oh, you're telling the world what you had for breakfast. And that's a common cliche that still almost 10 years later, really continues to stick around. But Ryan, thank you for that. I appreciate that feedback and that feedback a little Freudian slip Uh-oh. there, perhaps. That feed Facebook. Book. That feed book. What are you doing on your monitor right now, Brett? I'm looking at Ryan's text message. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure Facebook and Twitter weren't on there. No, they're not. Okay. I told you I'm not on the tweeters. Yes. The, uh-huh. It is 3.23. We'll have a quick look at your oh, forecast boy. in sports up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. And Hal Anderson is here. Hello. The many shows he is hosting over the next few days. Yes, uh, and I just got word I'm doing uh, I'm doing the late show tonight for Colbert as well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. That's uh, that's one of my favorites. So I'm uh, excited to be sitting in for Steven tonight on uh, CBS. You got any uh, famous? Can you tease any of the famous guests that will be on with uh, on the late it, show? It was or? a joke, TFJ. Oh. It was a joke. Uh, what a pleasure it is to be here on. Uh, Mackling minus McGarry. No, yes, uh, <laughs> McGarry minus Mackling. Well, here, let me just MTFJ. Pl- let me just do it again. This is Tristan and McGarry on 680 CJ. Oh, I didn't hear that earlier. I like that. I like that. That was a that. bit of a surprise for me, too, actually. I did not order that. <laughs> you didn't ask no, for that, eh? No, I didn't. Brett was just like, Tristan, I got something for you. And I have to admit, every time Brett says, Tristan, I've got something for you, I'm already like, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> you know what we, we You know what we used to do uh, back, uh, you know, over on Rock Radio on Power Night, I'd always tell these stories on Power 97, is we used to have those, you know, BJ and Hal or, or you know, whatever. And we would just, if we had somebody filling in, we would just, you'd hear this loud click, and then it would just be like, Tristan. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) remember those? It's just like you'd you'd hear the click and it'd go, Tristan. Like this really tinny, (laughs) stupid, you know, voice of a. It's obviously pre recorded. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, welcome to McGarry and. 
Tristan. I remember that. Yes, those were funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so so anyhow, I'm doing a bunch of shows, as you pointed out. I'm here Monday, so I'm here Saturday, Sunday, Monday, tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday, uh, doing the morning show 7 to 10, which is great. And then uh, I got the call about doing Adler's show tonight for one night. Um, so I'm on 9 to midnight uh, here at uh, CGOB tonight and right across the Chorus Radio Network. So I'm excited about that. That's, you know, I mean, that's scary stuff in radio, right? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be on the legendary CGOB, but when you start doing multiple stations for the oh, entire wow. network and, you know, that's that's crazy. Well, you know, the couch potatoes have been syndicated for a number oh, of years. Oh, I'm well aware. <laughs> I am well aware of your syndication, sir. What stations are you on? CGOB, Calgary, you're on 770, right? Yeah, we're on 770 in Calgary. We're on 630 Chad in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, CHML in Hamilton. Oh, wow. And uh, AM 980 in London. So. Oh, man, you're on a lot of stuff. I thought you were on two or three, but that's a lot. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of neat uh-huh. that we're on various stations. But it's mm-hmm. cool that you're doing the, the Big Adler show tonight. But then, yeah. So you're on till midnight. Right, get this, midnight. <laughs> tonight and then i'm gonna go home and sleep for like literally three or four hours and then i'll be back for the show at 7 a.m uh tomorrow morning so it's gonna be like the old days you know where i'd I'd have a bar gig and sleep on the futon uh for an hour and then you know whoever i happen to be working with at that time goes hey come on you know get up we got a show and then you do a show so that'll be kind of fun um but on the show tonight if you don't mind i'll tee up a couple things i just actually got off the phone with richard florida uh, who is an author? Uh, he's got a new book called "The Urban: uh, The New Urban Crisis." It's all about cities and uh, you know how we uh, try and work together to succeed as cities. So that was interesting. That'll be on the show tonight. Uh, Trevor Duick from Daily Hive. We'll talk movies with him. Uh, Brett, one of the couch potatoes over there. Uh, Amy Judd, global web producer, about online trends tonight. Uh, I've got a tech expert, Blaine Kahlo, on tonight, and uh, I'm going to squeeze in some Winnipeg stuff too. Right on. Uh, Bob Irving, talk about uh, the teams in the CFL because we've got rookie camp coming up uh, here in town. I want to try and talk a little bit about Chris Cornell tonight. Man, I'll tell you, that just really, that's the music that when I was on Power 97, late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, that was the stuff we were playing, you know? And it's just shocking that when you think about it, Eddie Vedder is kind of the only guy left now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Of all those grunge guys. And and he's, and Eddie Vedder, I mean, he's not... uh, Making that kind of heavy rock or no. grunge as much anymore. Right. I mean, Hard Sun is a fantastic. It is Hard Sun, right? That's the name of the song, or uh, one of the geez, ones. I don't know. I've heard that on Power ninety seven a few times. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of a a folk rock tune, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's 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 great hearing someone who was involved in grunge kind of branching out in these different directions. Yeah. But when it comes to Chris Cornell, and it's just the whole situation is shocking. I mean, yeah. just after a show and. Gone. I know. And even his wife today is saying, you know, it just makes no mm-hmm. sense. Like she had talked to him. He was slurring a little bit after the show in Detroit. And he said, you know, I took an extra, I don't know what pill it was. Right, yeah. A sleeping pill, I think, or something. And uh, yeah, you just, and, and what blows me away, whenever I hear about a celebrity or a rock star, you always think, you know, I'm, I mean, mental illness is mental illness. I understand yeah. that. But you think, man, these people have everything, right? They're, they're rock stars. They have money. They have fame. They have everything and yet you know uh yeah it's whatever caused it it's it's horrible and it, it's tragic i hate i hate hearing it whenever i hear it um but uh, yeah chris cornell so we'll uh, we'll talk a bit about that tonight hopefully on uh, charles adler tonight and uh, i'm going to see if i can talk a little bit too about the uh, falcon lake ufo uh, oh. incident which oh. is the 50th anniversary this weekend of that Oh, neat. And uh, Chris Wachowski was on with Shadow this morning. They were talking about that. They got a bunch of stuff planned around that. And then uh, Chris uh, Chris Wachowski is launching a new book with Stan Mahalik. You remember Stan Mahalik? 
He was in media years ago, and he is. it was his dad that had the UFO encounter. And oh. they've done this book together, and it's launching at Manali Robinson tomorrow night. So get a plug-in for that, and hopefully we can talk a bit. Of, they're going to uh, – Charles Adler tonight, they're going to go, who is this guy in Winnipeg filling in for Charles? <laughs> He's talking about, you know, Chris Cornell and UFOs, and, you know, it'll be my first and last time ever hosting the show. Well, I know. I think they'll be like, oh, hey, it's the 34th greatest Canadian of all time yes. filling in for Charles. I actually kind of thought that might be the way I start the show tonight because they gave you a few minutes, and I'll say, hey, you know what? This is the first time. This is kind of cool because I'm from Alberta, so I'll be broadcasting in Alberta tonight. First time in about 30 years that I've hosted a show in Alberta. Oh, so right that's on. kind of cool. And then I'll mention 34th greatest Canadian and, you know, well, all that kind of stuff. But, but if I'm not mistaken, Hal, you actually ranked above Pamela Anderson. You know, that's a good question. I don't know where she was on that list. <laughs> I don't even remember her being it's, on the list. It seems, no, it seems to me she was on the list, but in like the, the 90s or the 80s position, I remember thinking, Maybe. I think Hal Anderson is. I beat, uh, I beat uh, Mr. Dressup. Which I actually felt bad about. Uh, I knocked Gordy Howe into the out of the top fifty. Oh. Gordy Howe was fifty-one because I was in the top fifty. Uh, I think I was ahead. I was just ahead of Laura Secord. I think. Uh, I think I was ahead of three or four prime ministers. It was nuts. It was stupid. It was dumb. It was ridiculous. But I'm still riding that one. I'll, I'll, oh, that's, I'll take that one to my grave. That's an all-time, yeah. man. That was uh, great, re- great radio stunt. That's, that's, I still yeah. remember what, I was in the newsroom. It was a Sunday night, and uh, I had it on the TV in the background. <laughs> and I heard the the, the news thing. Yeah. And here at number 34, and there was the Power 97 news update. <laughs> and I heard your voice. And what is going yeah. on here? Yeah. So, well, my mom, you know, I know we got to go here, but my mom, even better than that, I went to bed early that night, right? So I knew none of this. So when I came in, they're like, hey, congratulations. I looked at my phone, and I've got about 50 messages on my phone, right? And one of them is from my mom. And she goes, how? I just, my mom doesn't understand channels and shows and whatever, right? She goes, she's got it on CBC, and she goes, how? What did you do? I saw your picture on the news. Call me. What have you What have you done? She's worried about me, you know, dishonoring the Anderson name. And meantime, I've been awarded the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. What have you done? <laughs> Wendy Mesley says you're in trouble. <laughs> That's awesome. That is tremendous. Al Anderson, thank you so much. You'll be right, on guys. tonight yep. from 9 until midnight and then throughout the long weekend. And we'll hear, we've got oh. to give you a quick update before we go to a full formal look at traffic. Southbound Route 90 at Corridon. The right-hand lane still blocked by a stalled moving truck. And a caller says it's backed up past Portage. Oh, boy. It is coming up to 346 on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry, Tristan Field-Jones, in for Greg Mackling, Julie Buckingham, and for Richard Julie Buckingham. Has it been fun? It's been a lot of fun. Yeah? Brett? Yeah. TFJ, he's my buddy. It's been a good time. You guys going drinking tonight? No. <laughs> we should. That's a great idea. No, I, I think I you guys should celebrate that way. No, I don't. I, I actually can't. I've got plans. I'm sorry. Oh. He's all. He is a busy bee. He's a his man about cal- town. Yeah, his social calendar is booked for weeks really? ahead of time. Yeah, yeah no, I understand. Everybody that. wants a piece of TFJ. So. I understand that. I yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's what I. That. That's what I tell you, Brett. Anyway, so I'm waiting for the rap song. Did you hear that one? That's yeah, what no, tells I know. Me, just so I don't. You guys are. Yeah. yeah. He just. Uh, he'd rather sit at home and and do nothing than go out with with me. That's fine. Oh. No, hey, that's fine. Tearing up. Brett had to yeah. just, it's before a long Something weekend, in my Brett. eye. <laughs> Richard and Julie, what do you guys have coming up on the show so we can get away from this incredibly well, uncomfortable we're going to examine relationships between two people. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually.
actually, we have something that I know is right up Brett McGarry's alley. It's number one and number two in the pool. Cheese and rum? I don't, I don't know. What? Cheese and rum in the pool. That would be better than you what's can, actually in the pool. You can tell it's a long weekend and people are starting to open up their pools. Julie, do you own a pool? I do, and if the likes of any of all y'all ever come over, I'm installing a shower outdoors after doing uh, the, these stories. So number one and number two in the pool. After as, the uh, 4.30 news. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I thought you meant like the number one and number no. two things that are up my alley. You actually mean number one number and number one two. and number two. <laughs> yes. We're talking. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Oh. A, f- a, f- a following. <laughs> I, I know there you enjoy is. that. No, I guess. We're, we're no, this is this is not like, it a, like it is. A, not like a one-off incident. This is what's in the pool water all the time. Particularly, I'm going with this in my own head in public pools, not in private pools. Okay, watch out for that. What time are you doing that? Just after the four thirty news. Yes. Okay. What else? We want to make sure we do that before you have supper. Yeah. Ah. Always a good idea. Lots of other stories ahead. Uh, very fascinating story out of Brandon uh, again. The guy thought he was getting a hot date, and he ends up being bound, tagged, and robbed. Oh, my God. Yes. That uh, that sounds incredible. And we'll hear more from Richard and Julie on the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Tristan Field-Jones, marvelous job filling in for Thank Greg Thank you very Mackinson. much, Brett. I had a lot of fun. Clean up, beers. Clean up my desk. What, for beers. Excuse Clean me. <laughs> no foulings in here. <laughs> Some parting shots from our friends in the peanut here. gallery. Oh, my word. Jeff Forte, Master Control, thank you. And thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.